0: Today on ADP Chasing, we are, for the first time in the show's history, bringing in a guest that has watched more than a single snap of football. It is, of course, the perceptor of receptions, the king of fantasy at Yahoo Sports, Matt Harmon. We're going to help you identify edges in the best ball market at wide receiver in a year where prices are higher than ever. This is ADP Chasing. Let's go.
1: Pat Fryer Helmo. (laughs) This is why. This is why I'm hot.
2: Anita Handjob. Fix your sight. Jamar.
3: Alpha Play Chase.
1: (laughs) Are you kidding me, (laughs) Gary's
3: Tony? You You can't handle the heat. It looks like we're finally at this point. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: How's
0: everybody doing, Matt? Thanks for uh, for joining us. You have a good. Fourth of July uh, holiday week.
3: Oh yeah, man. I was off uh, for the first time, you know, uh, and forever took the full week off to uh, not think about both work, uh, well, reception, perception, and Yahoo combined, and also uh, moving across the country. Didn't think about either of those things for a week, and now it's like smacking me in the face being back today. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's the post, uh, post-vacation post anxiety, slapping uh, me in the face all at once, but I'm happy to not think about at least uh, the anxiety part here for the next uh, next hour or so uh, with you guys. So I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, way too kind of an introduction, and uh, I'm excited to chop it up today. Awesome, happy I to have you. To have you on, yeah, happy to have you. Very excited you?
1: to to talk <sighs> about Deontay Johnson and and Brandon Knight. Oh, great. Oh, Cadarius Tony. Well, we've been, oh, and Cadarius. Yeah, we've been doing a lot of thinking about thinking uh, about about reception, perception, and uh espn open score and like how to leverage these things to draft teams so i i i'm looking forward to a a robust conversation
0: yeah should be awesome yeah before we get started i think uh just to give the listeners a heads up we're basically going to be looking through just wide receiver adp today a little little bit different from the normal show outline and talking through uh matt's reception perception data and maybe trying to help find edges at, at adp um but before we go into that, Matt, if, if you want to just give like our listeners or maybe I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with you, but just give people a quick overview of, of what you do at Reception Perception, sort of, you know, rough outline of your process, um, that kind of thing, just to help people kind of get grounded in what we're going to be talking about.
3: Yeah, I think all of us that play fantasy or like watch the NFL on a really uh, intense basis, we all kind of inherently understand that wide receiver production is, I mean, it's one of the most i would say they like the position is overall the most dependent on like outside variables to go right uh, in order to accrue production i think we all kind of understand that basically any yards target uh anything that anything any metric that involves that stuff is taking the variable of the quarterback the environment the offensive play caller you know like you need the offensive line to block the play correctly so my goal almost a decade now in that seems crazy to say that I've been doing reception perception for, for almost about 10 years Here, has um, been to try to, as best possible to isolate wide receivers from outside variables. So what I do is over an eight game sample for NFL players and college players is go in and chart, uh, like you said, more than a single snap, uh, chart every <laughs> single route that they run uh, every single snap where they line up. Cause I think that's where the discussion has to start is, you know, we, we talk about like outside receivers and slot receivers a lot in fantasy, but when you really want to break down exactly like what these guys are doing is a huge difference between like what the X receiver and what the flanker receiver is asked to do. So that's where everything starts basically. And then from there it's how often do they run each route? How often do they get open on each route type? How often are they getting open against man zone press coverage? So really again, trying to the goal with reception perception is to isolate the player as much as possible from outside variables. Um, And then again, really try to understand what bucket they fit in at the position and really then of course you know just like how good are they right because we like to think that volume finds or talent finds volume opportunity finds talent um so really i think it's just the the starting point of how you've got to understand the receivers you got to watch them play and then everything else comes from there
2: yeah two things i really like about uh what you're adding is what's happening when receivers aren't targeted that's something that for like a long time we've had like no real information on Um, and then some i've been Really enjoying uh, digging into the numbers this offseason is just stuff like, uh, you know, you mentioned the flanker, the exposition stuff. You track how often the guys are lining up on the line of scrimmage, which I haven't seen elsewhere. I think that's pretty cool, too.
3: Yeah, that to me is funny. Like, there are statements I said about, you know, the overall, like. Well, not the overall, but, like, the success rate versus man zone press coverage statements, even in reception perception, that I wouldn't have said, like, I would not say now, but, like, eight years ago, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, because this guy's bad in man coverage, he's bad, but if these guys are really good against like the example I was come back to is like uh Juju in his early career. I, I think like reception perception had him pretty pegged. And this is a guy that's a good player because he's good against zone coverage, but he's got clear weak points like against man and press. And I think that's put like a cap ceiling on who he's become later in his career. And like, I don't think he's a bad player. I just think he was a little overrated earlier, but the fact that he lines up off the line, the fact that he was lining up a lot in the slot in Pittsburgh and elsewhere, it gets him away from those coverages that he's not really good against. So, like you said, like, th- I think that's really an important piece of the conversation that does get kind of lost because, you know, th- what these guys are doing when they're running that X receiver route tree, like a, ver- a true vertical X receiver, they might as well be playing like a different position. Like D- Davis, you talked about Iuk. That's a great example of like what Ayuk is doing versus like what Debo Samuel's doing. It's like, uh, it almost might as well be different positions, even though they're both labeled WR. And that's kind of an extreme example because Debo's mm-hmm. does backfield stuff but um yeah i think it's important to kind of always start the conversation there
0: i think the juju example is interesting too right because there was so much talk and it's always hard in fantasy to like separate the noise uh from the signal right and there was so much talk that oh juju is just a product of antonio brown taking away coverage he's just he's a slot guy but at the time if you're just looking at juju's like raw stats his yardage his catches and you don't look at where he's lining up on the field you think you know he's on the path to be the dynasty wide receiver one, right? Like a lot of people had him yeah. ranked super high after that. Right. So I think, like you said, understanding how a player win wins is really important and understanding that Juju great at what he does, or at least back then was, you know, really elite at what he did as a slot um, uh, slot zone beater. But yeah, understanding that because when you try to project him into that full X wide receiver role um, it takes a little bit of um, extra <laughs> yeah, skill to, to
2: get yeah. there. So I think that's really an interesting one. Matt, can you can you just kind of like give people a quick overview of how you see like the the two outside positions, the 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 flanker and the X? Because I mean, I think like I don't really get it fully. Like I when I went to look, um, like I, I remember Michael Pittman really jumped out to me. as like, oh, I guess he's not the X because he's like a big mm-hmm. wide receiver. I just like figured he was. Um, well, these and, are and, uh, these Alex are Smith, designations.
1: These are, d- it depends on the offense too. Like not mm-hmm. every offense is going to have a flanker because it's a designation from Dan Coryell's offense from the 1970s that like most of the modern passing game is built out of. But like, for example, Cliff Kingsbury's playbook, they probably would not have had a flanker. They would have had an X and a Y and a slot and no one would have been designated the flanker because the route concepts are mm-hmm. different. So it, it sort of depends on, who's calling the plays and yeah, what verbiage they're using a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, kind of verbiage is different across different
3: offenses, but just from like a, very basic high level standpoint like that x receiver is going to be like tethered at the line of scrimmage he's not going to be moving around pre-snap like a good example is robert woods uh with the uh with the los Angeles rams like he was always kind of their pre-snap motion guy because he was the off-ball flanker and then like brandon cooks is that you typically want your x receiver to be somebody who's going to stress the defense out um which is kind of why like alec pierce is the x receiver in 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 indianapolis just to come back to your michael Pittman example and they love to move Pittman around prior to the snap you know kind of get him on some quicker hitting routes so you want your flanker like it's great if your flanker is uh, a big time man press beater too like that that's awesome but you definitely want your z receiver your flanker receiver to be um good in the short to intermediate areas and, and it's okay if he's more of a zone beater than a man beater and then obviously again the the flanker position allows them to be moved around prior to the snap and they don't necessarily have to. And it it just depends like Davis said on different offenses and who your players are. Obviously we want coaches that are going to coach to the personnel on the offense, but you know, the more like, I, I think the, the Shanahan offense is a great one that they do typically have that when that offense is functioning at its best, They have like a Julio Jones and Andre Johnson, like that big prototypical X receiver. Ayuk is kind of playing that role now. Um, So that's kind of just a a little bit of a high level. Uh, The main thing is, are they on the line of scrimmage or are they not? That's kind of the biggest difference between X and and, and Flanker. And then you can kind of get it over around from there. Gotcha.
2: So just based on your data here, like Terry McLaurin, Mike Evans, DK Metcalf are kind of prototypical uh, X receivers.
3: Yeah, yeah, and, and it's funny because we definitely do profile players based on size. Um, you know, I, I, everybody does it. Uh, I, I definitely think, like, oh, you want that X receiver to be built like a Mike Evans, like that. But then, yeah, Terry McLaurin is not not like the smallest guy in the world, but he is definitely like a prototypical X receiver that's not moving around uh, prior to snap. And those guys definitely have, the. I would say, you know, this is subjectively, but I think based on the routes that they run, the coverages that they face, like, again, they're going to run into more tight physical press man coverage. They're not going to have the, the benefit of working the sideline or they're going to be tighter to the sideline than these other players are. I think it's the hardest position of the three to play. So, you know, when you see a guy like a rookie like Drake London that comes in and, and runs out as that pure X receiver I, and, and plays, in my opinion, extremely well, I think that, like, that's a really good signal all in of itself.
1: Yeah, that's... It. and that And, sense. I mean, these are... These discrepancies are like very useful, I think, in season. You know, I think like like positional stuff because you want to know who replaces for injury and and stuff like that. But you know, another key is people do miss on this with rookies. Uh, I think a pretty obvious example is like Devonta Smith, assuming oh and, and Alave actually. Like just thinking like these guys are small, fast, like they can only, you know, the, the if you're if you're. uh 5'10", 178 pounds, it's like, oh, you're a slot wide receiver. And mm-hmm. the the paradigm has just changed in, in the NFL now. Like, that just doesn't have to be true anymore.
3: I love that you brought up Devonta Smith because that was one of the most, like, interesting things to me going into last season because I was so – and this is how you know I have, you know, no life – is, like, I was so fascinated as to where were these receivers in Philly going to line up? You know, like, who was going to be the X receiver versus who was going to kind of be – that, that pre-snap motion guy flanker, you know, moving to the slot. Because like you mentioned, Davis, like we had multiple years of evidence that both as a, obviously a collegiate player when he won the Heisman, but as a rookie too of Devonta Smith being excellent against pre- press coverage, excellent against man coverage, and doing it from a true X position. But, you know, A.J. Brown in 2020 and 2020 – well, really 2019 and 2020 was a- an awesome X receiver, for uh the tennessee titans like he had run out of that position but then you saw him kind of in 21 accommodate julio jones who's been one of the best x receivers you know of all time and play as more of a flanker play more in the slot that year and i was interested to see like was the eagles going to kind of put aj brown in that spot were they going to like move devon smith around but then what you saw them do last year was yeah smith basically runs out as the x receiver and it's incredible in that role, too, by the way, which I think is a real credit to him. But then uh, mm-hmm. also then it gives them sort of matchup flexibility with A.J. Brown to move him around the field.
2: That That's nuts to me that Devonta Like, just from my very rudimentary understanding of, like... Like, I, when I think Chris Olave, I'm like, flanker. When I think A.J. Brown, mm-hmm. I'm like, X. I'm like, okay, yeah. obviously, A.J. Brown's the X. I don't even need to check. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Devonta Smith's the X? That doesn't jive with kind of my... The basic understanding.
0: Because I think and I mean, Matt, you can speak better uh, to this than me, but... Like the the things that it takes to be a successful X receiver aren't just size, and I think so many times we think of just like oh big guy he can beat press coverage, but like the nuanced, um, the, yeah, the nuanced aspects of like you know getting off the line of scrimmage, like beating that initial press coverage, sort of whatever sidestepping, uh, all that stuff. Like Devonta Smith is so technical and good at the very nuanced things, even
2: though he's like you know
0: all of our sizes basically,
2: um, which is which is truly incredible. So um, how? How different are these positions in terms of – because, like, one thing that strikes me about this is, like, can I use this to predict snaps? Like, you know, the Giants wide receivers are one where I was like, oh, Isaiah Hodgins lining up on the line of scrimmage a lot. You know, maybe that gives him an advantage as we try to figure out where all these guys are going to go. Maybe he actually has more of a lead for the X snaps, and it's not all just there's three wide receiver spots or there's two outside wide receiver spots. Who's going to play outside? Like, how different are these responsibilities and and duties? Is it to the point where we can say, like, look, I mean, this guy's shown the ability to line up on the line of scrimmage, play X. That gives him uh, an advantage over the other guys.
3: I think it's a huge part of it. The Giants are a great example because, like, let me tell you what, you're not running out a three-receiver set of Paris Campbell, Wandale Robinson, and Sterling Shepard. And obviously, like, there's – injury, and, you know, Sterling is one of the greatest uh, reception, perception, what-ifs of all time. So uh, all, all respect intended to Sterling Shepard, you know, beyond the injury problems that you're going to have with those guys. But, yeah, like – you're not asking Paris Campbell to play X receiver. You're not asking uh, Sterling Shepard when he's healthy to play X receiver. And you're definitely not asking Wondell Robinson to do it. And even, like, stretching those guys into some some of those guys. You know, Sterling Shepard notwithstanding. Like, I don't really think you're asking Wondell Robinson or, or even Paris Campbell. Maybe Paris Campbell uh, can play, like, a flanker position. I actually think he might be better than, like, the kind of bunny hop slot receiver stuff he's done at different times in Indianapolis. He might be decent at that. But, yeah, I think – you can definitely use it to predict, like who these guys are gonna who's gonna line up in a three receiver set. Especially nobody likes when uh, you you talk about this either. But like that X receiver's probably got to be a pretty good blocker too. Like they're not they can't be like a stone zero in the run game. And yeah. I think that's where we definitely get into problems when we profile guys as like route running X receivers, you know, versus like just big physical X receivers and, and everything like that. Like you said, these smaller guys can definitely run out there at that position, but you want your outside receivers to offer you something in the run game and two receiver sets. Again, I a great example of that, that like, I think part of what got him out of the doghouse a couple of years ago was he was like blocking his ass off in the run game. And I think that makes him a good fit at that extra receiver position too. So somebody with a little more size there in Isaiah Hodgins might provide them something different than what these other guys do.
1: Oh, we normally spend about 30 minutes per show talking about Isaiah Hodgins. So I'm glad, I'm glad we <laughs> yeah. that, that. We still have 25, really?
3: 25 more. Don't worry.
2: We'll get to it. Um, <laughs> Sorry, so it's another. This is a bit
0: okay. Mean, yeah, but, yeah.
2: Go ahead. Um, well, one thing I was just curious about like sometimes, like, so Deontay Johnson and George Pickens both lined up on the line of scrimmage a lot. So, like, what's that also kind of goes against like what I thought? Like, there's one guy who lines up on the line of scrimmage, one guy who's off the line of scrimmage is the flanker. How, how is it that you know those two guys must both be on certain plays lining up on the line of scrimmage?
3: At some points, you uh you do get a play call. I mean, Matt Canada, Matt does some weird offenses stuff. It's not really one of my favorite offenses in the entire NFL for sure. But you also those guys can at different times. You know, one guy can be the X receiver on the play, and then the other guy can be the X receiver on a different play. I think they actually have a pretty interesting mm-hmm. combo there, and that George Pickens is sort of that like prototypical throwback X receiver, a guy that's um. Not necessarily, I would say a great separator, but he is combative at the catch point. He does kind of profiles more of that player. I wouldn't say he's, I wouldn't say he's like gonna. You know, he can be kind of along. I this is a guy I talk about on like every one of my shows, like the Devonte Parker axis of X receiver. Never a great separator, but really good in contested situations. I think he kind of fits into that bucket. And then Deontay's just been such a good separator and such a good route runner, despite being, you know, not an A plus athlete and being a smaller guy. He, and he's definitely a mistake-prone player, but, you know, no doubt about that. But, like, he, he can be so – yeah, he does get open. And he can do that at the extra receiver position. So that gives him some flexibility to, like, all right, we can start to take some of the off the line. Because also Deontay's, like, snaps on the line have gone down last year compared to the year mm. prior, if I'm not mistaken. So, like, a lot of that is they had a guy this year that could be – or this past year that could do some of that extra receiver stuff. But they also do some, un, you know, untraditional things where – You'll get both those outside receivers on the line of scrimmage, or you'll get the receiver in the slot on the line of scrimmage. And then, you know, the flanker's off the ball or the tight ends off the ball. So they do a lot of that with Pat uh-huh. Firemuth, too, where he's off the ball as well.
2: That's interesting. Interesting. Cool. Well, it's
1: all interesting until you realize that Allen Robinson is getting 97 targets this year, and there's <laughs> yeah. nothing any of us can do Dude. about it. I, I,
3: I could, there's, if I re- if you get enough beers in me, I could like fall. Ass backwards into Uh-oh. like a uh, Allen Robinson gets more targets than George Pickens, uh, you know, <laughs> like, like, I think that's
1: if you gave me, if you gave me like three to one odds on that, I think I might take it because I mean, to be honest, is, were the
0: yeah, were their target rates that I mean, three to one last odds last year? They they probably were closer than we want to admit, even last year when Robinson was awful because Pickens was pretty low. Um, But anyways, let's um, while we have Matt, I wanna I wanna get into some of this ADP uh, debates for the top players. I wanna quickly like orient people to what the numbers we're gonna be showing um, are here. So these these are the charts that you're probably familiar with um, with Matt stuff Uh, success rate, success by route, and route percentage for different players. Um, This week, I dug into creating this metric. Uh, which is called success rate over expected, and I just want to quickly walk people through what that means so they understand it, because we're going to be talking about it on the charts. Um, it's essentially a way, and I know Matt, uh, you've actually written about this. Condensing, you know, all of your work into a single metric is not the goal of reception perception, and it's way more nuanced than that. But um, just for the purposes of putting some well, stuff, we on did charts, it anyway. We did it, yeah. we did it anyway. <laughs> okay, part, part,
3: part of part of putting out like data is that. You know once it's out there, you kind of got to let it go in terms of like what people do with it, so yeah. Um, and hey, hey, this is this is a lot better, Sam. What you've done is a lot better than uh taking like screenshotting one of the charts and being like, you know, here's some take that I would probably never have, but yeah, insert person on Twitter definitely has. And I'm like, all right, well, can't wait for this to come back to me, yeah. So
0: I do want to say this is uh, this is um kind of my metric and Matt is not like fully rubber stamping or endorsing it, but I'll explain how it works and then we can talk through it. So um, for Chris Olave, for example, um, you see a success rate by route and his route percentage. What you can do then, um, and this table here kind of illustrates it. We have NFL average success rates across all of these routes. So say, for example, look at the corner route, the NFL average success rate is 62% on those routes Chris Olave last year had a 94% success rate on the corner, which is extremely good. So in that next row, success rate over expected, you see that on a corner rate, he had sort of a plus 31% success rate over expected on that route. Then like if you do that across all of the routes that a player runs and then weight it by the percentage um, of the different routes they're running... You get to an overall success rate over expected by route. So essentially, what this does is like if a player has a really high success rate, but they're running a ton of easy routes, say like just a bunch of screens, you know, slants, curls, this metric will actually harm them a little bit. But if they have a low success rate and they're running a ton of you know tricky routes, nines, uh, posts, corners, etc., this metric will actually make them look a little bit better. So that's essentially what this is doing. I also did this um, by, that was by route, and I also did this by coverage. So a very similar idea, but we can look at um, players' routes and success rate versus man, double teams, man, single teams, and zone. And basically, I'm not gonna walk through it, but it's very similar math there. You can get to a success rate over expected by coverage. Um, So you have those two numbers, and what I did is just average them, I said, There's probably some signal in that success rate over expected by route. There's probably some signal in the success rate over expected by coverage. I average them together. um, And that's essentially the number that's going to be showing up on these charts. Um, So before we get into it, Matt, I'm curious, like, does this, I realize it doesn't cover everything. You do a ton more than this. Like you, you track contested catch, you track yak. There's like way more to your analysis than just this, but I'm curious if you like your reaction to to this metric if you think it generally makes sense or, um, yeah, just just any thoughts you have.
3: Well, I think that it makes so much inherent sense, and, you know, this is something I talk about a lot too, is that these guys who are running more vertical route trees, like you're in the- – there is a necessarily like a lower expected success rate when you're running a lot of nines posts and corners. You know we talked about Pickens earlier. He is a guy who does a lot of that, and he de- like he does have some lower success rates, especially against zone coverage. Some of that might not necessarily be his fault, uh, or would maybe be different if his route tree was mixed up a little bit. Christian Watson is another example from last year, but then you see yep. a guy like Olave, and I'm glad you know Olave is a guy that you, you put here on the uh, on the slide is like. He's not running, he's running like an extremely vertical route tree, but has like a 75% success rate versus man coverage, which is extremely, extremely high, which is why I'm so bullish on him as a player. So he's a great example. And I think sometimes when you put example to something like that, it's why it kind of passes the smell test to me. Because yeah, it's something I talk about all the time. Like, it start, It starts with alignment for sure, but then you got to bleed into like what routes are they running, and and that might be very very different for a guy like Olave versus a you know a Garrett Wilson from last year. Uh, just another example to pit two rookies together to, against each other.
0: Yeah, that that makes sense. Um, yeah, so and I think just like a, a way that I thought about this. If you're if you got lost in all the math, there totally fine. I get it. Um, it's it's a lot of numbers. It's confusing. I'd say like generally success rate over expected in theory, you can think of it as how often a player gets open relative to expectation based on their route tree and their coverage faced. So that's
2: more or less what this number is telling you. And um, the route tree one, I think it could be important for fantasy because some of the deeper stuff like produces fantasy points in big yep. ways, mm-hmm. right? We want to, we don't want to penalize a for running nine routes in any way. Cause like, give us those nine routes.
1: Yeah, we want, yeah, we want it's, that, it's right? big.
2: <laughs> exactly, yeah.
0: So this, okay, now what we're going to talk through, we'll go through the different sort of um, zones in the fantasy landscape this year. This is showing the round one and two wide receivers. So you see on this chart here a ton of studs. Um, all these guys have above average success rate over expected the the baseline for players in rounds one and two is around a five to six percent success rate over expected. So these colors here highlighting the players that are you know doing a little bit worse or much better to that relative to where they're going in the draft. So you know I think this is interesting. Like I think we should be a little bit pickier this year um, in terms of the wide receivers we're drafting very early, just because their prices are so much higher. So again, we're not saying like you know. This metric isn't even saying Amon Ra, Jalen Waddell, or T. Higgins are bad players. It's just saying, like, yeah. compared to everyone else in this range, they're not quite um, hitting on the, the level of, you know, the A.J. Brown, Diggs, Devontae Adams. So I wanted to start with with Amon Ra. I think some of the stud guys on the left-hand side here, like, what's the point of talking about Svon Diggs or Tyreek Hill? We all, we all know those guys are just absolute studs. So let's let's dive into Amon Ra. Uh, he shows up here with just a 1% success rate over expected. Again, that's, that's still good. Um, I think part of the reason why he doesn't flash as much as other guys here is one, he struggles on sort of some of the harder routes in your data, Matt, on, on the post and the nine, he has sort of a higher percentage of so-called easier routes, flat slants and screens. He also faced zone coverage um, a bit more than, than players uh, in this range did. So that's why he shows up there. Yeah, just curious, your thoughts on Amon Ra, sort of at the you know back half of the first round, early second round. Um, what are your thoughts on on him in that range?
3: Yeah, super unique role, right? I mean, he's, we're talking about 3% of his route, 3.8% of his routes were nine routes, 4, 4.2% of his routes were curl routes, 2.7%, uh, or excuse me, post routes, and 2.7% of his routes were corner routes. He's not run a lot of downfield stuff. He's running almost, uh, you know, when he came into the league, I called him uh, Bud Light Cooper Cup. You know, and like, like the the ideal role that he would play was that type of role, and I think that's again what he's gone on to play here with the Detroit Lions. So what what he's doing is so different from you know a guy like AJ Brown or Stephon Diggs, certainly, or you know any of these guys. He's he's run an extremely different route tree than these players. Yeah. So a lot of what I call Sam, like in terms of saying easy routes, just call him like he's run a lot of layup routes, right? Like, yeah. and, which is great for a quarterback like Jared Goff who loves to throw those layup routes we've seen him do it with actual Super Cup we've seen him do it with this player now and I'm on Ross St. Brown he's tough though because I mean dude like who who is stretching the field here for the Lions in the first six weeks of the season when Jamison Williams isn't playing like is it this version of Marvin Jones is it it it's It's, it's like (laughs) I mean it's it's tough to say so can you run Uh, Look, I don't think DJ Chark's a great player. I think he's, you know, he's lost a lot of juice after all the injuries the last few years. He's not really much of a separator, but he's a downfield ball winner that, that can stretch the field from that X receiver position in that way. I mean, I don't know that any of these other dudes are necessarily doing that. And, you know, can you run a healthy functional passing offense? You know, is this guy gonna score a lot of touchdowns in the first six weeks of the season? I mean, shoot. We also, by the way, like we're talking about Jameson Williams, we don't know who Jameson Williams is gonna be. Uh like, yeah. right? There's there's a lot of projecting there. So he might be John I'm,
1: Baldwin, buddy. It, right, right. AJ I Jenkins. Mean,
2: I mean, it, if he's it, it, Jalen Guyton, it still would help Amon St. Brown, right? Like I think a little just bit having yeah. him back should help.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I, I just I love Am- Amon Ross St. Brown, the player. Um, you know, I was really bullish on him last year because he'd shown a lot of the skills that you want in this big power slot receiving role. Uh, you know, a guy that can beat zone coverage, a guy that's really good on those layup routes. But I think this kind of shows that there's some things that he's not as good at as, as some of these other players. Like that's okay in when he's playing in this specific role from like an NFL receiver standpoint. But when you're thinking about it from a fantasy standpoint, like trying to hit a high ceiling. He's gonna need a lot of things to go right because even all the things went right for um, Cooper Cup a couple years ago when he you know won the triple crown. He was awesome, but you know he had a quarterback that could stretch the field vertically. He had uh, you know some receivers that could stretch the field vertically and Odell Beckham, and then obviously Robert Woods was good, and even Van Jefferson's like not a bad player either. So I don't know, It's just those same ingredients aren't quite there for um, for Amon Ra and, and and the Lions, but he's definitely about to get a boatload of targets. It's just like how how a efficient are those targets going to be and B, like how far down the field are those targets going to be? Probably not very far.
1: I, I think on underdogs specifically St. Brown's prices, it's probably pretty bad. I just don't, I don't see him developing into a 13 touchdown per season guy. Now that doesn't mean he can't do it once or a couple of times. I'm like, obviously yeah. I think he's very good. He got tackled at the one, a bunch last year and yeah, touchdowns are, are mm-hmm. sort of noisy anyway. Uh, the Reeves made this comp to me and I've never been able to get it out of my head, which is that he's Keenan Allen. You know, he just, he, yeah. he is super dependable. He's going to catch a hundred passes a year. Uh, but you are just going to be begging for 33 point weeks. You know, like what you're going to watch DK Metcalf, you know, just put some poor 49ers quarterback in an early grave. And you're going to be like, you, you know, St. Brown is not doing that now on draft Kings, which we have not talked about a ton here. I think he's way better, right? Because he's mm-hmm. going to like PPR, those 10 yeah. catch games. I mean, shit, he could get multiple 10 catch games in that first six weeks before the combination of one, waiting for Jameson Williams to get back and two, just figuring out like, can Sam Laporta play 80% of the snaps or do we need to be playing Brock Wright for the first couple weeks anyway? Um, and the, Crane, I, I want your take on this, but like it feels, especially, and this is backed up by the data, but like drafters getting scared of Devonte Adams because Jimmy Garoppolo like may or may not be the court- like what are we doing here? Do we do, <laughs> does anyone really think it matters if Brian Hoyer is there? Like Devonte Adams is just going to be Devonte Adams. It does, like he I Zach Wilson could be his quarterback and I wouldn't be concerned. Like what what are we doing letting Devontae yeah. Adams be? Like I see Jalen Waddle go ahead of Adams. I got Adams at sixteen. Yeah. In a draft last night, what yeah, are, what are I, people doing?
0: I'm curious your thoughts, Pat, on on that. Like the the Adams, Amonra, Waddle grouping. To me, it's so clearly Adams. But um do you, do you have anything else to say on like why? I don't know.
2: Do you have a different take on that? Well, I don't want to be underweight really any of these guys. So to me, like the thing with Adams is that he is now falling. So if I'm sitting at like 11. I think Adams might be more likely to get back to me, certainly than like a CD lamb. Um, so I've taken, I've passed on, on Adams just to get exposure to the other guys. And also to be like, I w- I would like my discount that everyone else is getting. Um,
1: but I, I don't I, really get it.
2: I, I, I want to be overweight Adams and I am.
1: We don't have to go really deep into this, but I have just been wanting to make this point, which is that we, we draft teams, like not exposures, so, like, I'm not, I'm not passing up on a guy I think is a good value just because I think I might get four more picks of value a couple times in August. Like, I, I still want to be drafting Devontae Adams instead sure. of Amon Ross St. Brown.
2: But I also don't want to be under – I guess my thing with Amon Ross St. Brown is, like, he, his chart's really interesting, his reception perception chart, because he, he kind of – it's like he is th- who he thought he was is, like, my takeaway from it. Like, he does the things he does really well. He sucks at the things he doesn't do well. But like he's with Jared Goff. Like, there's no yeah, that's not a problem. Like, who cares? Like, if he does, he does the thing that you would want Jared Goff's primary receiver to do really well. And he does it exceptionally. So my goal with that group is to be as close to even on the non-Devante guys as I can and then overweight Devante Adams. Because I think he's he seems like a pretty big value when he's in the second round.
0: Yeah. Let's let's jump over to to waddle he's the other guy we've alluded to here he also shows up um again two percent success rate over expectation is still good i I can't overstate that but again not as good as other guys in this chart i think that again is primarily driven he's definitely a different archetype than amon raw but um he still did have a high percentage of his routes being flats slants and screens this again this is also 2020 to 2022 so maybe part of that is baking in his um, routes from 2021 actually which were a lot more in the short area than they were last year i believe um his success rate versus man kind of plateaued from year one to year two we didn't see a huge jump there um and he also this is kind of a, a minor note but he faced a low rate of double teams relative to a lot of these other wide receivers i um, and that actually is baked into this number a little bit i'm guessing that's because obviously Tyree kill is on his team. So Waddle is not facing the same, you know, press double coverage uh, that some of these other wide receivers are facing. So I think that's all baked into his number here, but Matt, I'm curious uh, your thoughts on, on Waddle. Do you think he has the potential to, to jump up uh, into sort of the next tier of guys um, or do you think this assessment that the chart shows of him being uh, overvalued is, is accurate?
3: Yeah, he's a tricky one, and I'm glad you brought up the difference between uh, year one and year two, because like, if you watch Jalen Waddell in college and then you watched him his rookie year, um, you'd be like, well, that's not – like that, like his rookie year is not what he's really supposed to be doing. You know, that's really yeah. not like it. I mean, you you definitely want him on some of these underneath and layup routes. Like he's really good after the catch. Obviously, he's got it really. You know, he's got a ton of speed. But yeah, in his rookie year, twenty four point four percent of his routes were slants, fourteen point four percent of his routes were flat routes. You know, and then five point two percent of his routes were screens. All three of those numbers came down. Um, especially the flat route came down by almost like 50%, uh, you know, which is great because he was certainly – his best stuff as a year two player was like running dig routes, was running post routes, was running out routes, and like beating zone coverage. And he's really good, I think, in that area. He's, he's not – like some of his stuff against press coverage is not, it's not bad, but it's not up to the, the level of some of these other players, like an Olave or a Devontae Smith, or even, especially like a, a Devontae Adams for sure. So I think there are some some holes in his game, uh, but still a really good player. And I mean, I I think a great player. And, you know, is he ever is he like a one B or Is he a true, really good high end number two? I think that's kind of the from a like talent perspective. That's sort of where I'm I'm kind of juggling him a little bit. But it is worth noting, too. And I think this is kind of be a good and a bad thing that the Dolphins last year used Tyree kill his, his numbers aren't up on the site yet from last year, but they will be by next week. Uh, he's a guy they used him more off the line than they did. Jalen Waddle. They had Jalen Waddle run like more of the X receiver route tree as much mm-hmm. as you can have like a true X receiver in that offense. Um, he was more on the line not doing as much pre snap motion stuff so like again that could be a good and a bad thing it's a good credit to waddle and what he did last year but like they're do- the more like created touches stuff was definitely Tyreek Hill than it was Jalen Waddle last year
0: yeah and that shows up in the target data for sure i think Tyreek had like 50 more targets than than waddle or something like that pat curious you you mentioned you, you wanted to be at uh the field with waddle so yeah curious just like in your your bull case um for him uh what what
2: makes you really excited about him in the the second round well it's interesting that you know you talk about the route changing you know his the the mix of routes that he's running changing because that definitely like you know worked its way up into dot which I, is a number that i look at it a lot and you know people will be pretty familiar with his dot jumped from 7.0 as a rookie to 12.7 Last year. And to me, like that's huge. That's like two completely different types of receivers. Like yeah. that's a, an underneath, like a limited underneath, you know, probably primarily a slot guy ran 60 percent of his uh, snaps in the slot corner PFF as a rookie. Dropped down to 26 percent last year out of the slot, uh, mostly out wide last year. And his ADOT jumps to 12.7. It's like he became he like literally became two different types of receivers by these numbers, and it sounds like that's backed up by the route data. And then
3: okay. Waddle Waddle's interesting in that in that way too, just because you know um, I I like made an offhanded comment in my Discord you know the other week and set out and then like logged off and uh you know set off like kind of a firestorm <laughs> and I said like yeah you know like ADOT's not always a uh, it's not like a wide I said it was not a wide receiver stat and what I meant by that is that it's not a wide receiver isolating stat, right? Because you can look at Jalen Waddle in 2021 with that like seven yard average depth of target. And a lot of that is the circumstances around him. It meant he could do that stuff really well. But like, if you took that, Seven yard average depth of target and be like, well, he can't win downfield. It's like, well, again, no, we're talking about, like, look at the guy's nine route success rate, the dig route success rate, the out and corner route, uh, in his year one data in reception perception. Like, yeah, this guy can clearly win downfield. It's just his quarterback was not throwing it downfield and, um, Obviously, you know, that offense was really weird with all the RPO, like quick hitting stuff anyway. So, yeah, it's like sometimes and this is not always the case. A lot of times, like a guys, a dot is what it is. And like it is very descriptive of the player. But I think this is a very good example where that's not always the case.
2: It's a role stat, I think, you know, it's like he's he was being used in that underneath role. He did it pretty well, but new coaching staff. And I love that, you know, we can go see like, okay, he's being used in this role. this underneath role. What, what what was his success rate on the deep stuff? Oh, it's good. Okay, yeah, yeah. gets used in a slightly different role now, which is exactly what happened. Um, I mean, he jumped. the The thing with me with Waddle is that the Tyreek his efficiency and like just in terms of target earning and target per route run all that stuff like off the charts. And then you just go to Waddle. So like to compare him to Tyreek, he's going to look like oh my god, is a clear secondary option. Also, as a second year player he was unbelievably good. Like that, that's, to me, that's the, the bull case for Waddle. Yeah, Like it's a very simple, clean bull case, actually. It's like, let's stop talking about Tyreek Hill for a second and just focus on Waddle's numbers compared to what we would normally expect for a wide receiver to be drafted here. Like you you want a yards per hour run. He he had 2.46 yards per hour run last year as a second round player. Uh, He's a, you know, a very high draft pick got elite speed. Um, There's, I think a lot of reasons to be excited about him, you know, and then also now we're not sure what's going on with this Tyree kill situation. Um, So there's like, that's just like another reason for me to be like, God, if I, if I'm underweight, this explosive second year player or third year player now, um, and he has a big season, that's really going to hurt. He has a big season and he he's like the, the clear top option on the dolphins for six of those games or whatever. Um, probably not that high of a chance, but it's another reason that I really don't want to be underweight him.
1: Well, there's also outs with him too. So like, let's say maybe Jalen Waddle, uh, if, if there was a way for us to like truly distill skill level, which is like kind of what this exercise is attempting to get at, obviously, you know, true skill level is sort of unknowable, but let's say it was knowable. Right. And let's say Waddle's true skill level is, Maybe we think he's an A minus right now, but let's say in reality he's just a B, or maybe even a B minus. For fantasy specifically, I'm not even sure how much that matters because their other options in terms of distributing the ball are Chosen Anderson, yeah. Durham Smite, <laughs> yeah. Eric Umekuzama, um, you know, just like Braxton Berrios, like compl- like anonymous players who are not going to earn targets. <laughs> like so, I, I'm I'm with you. I mean, obviously, the other nice thing about taking Waddle is that like you kind of know what you're doing with your team. You're like, okay, it's like, okay, all right, I am taking yeah, Tua in, in round nine. I'm taking Bateman or Flowers in round eight. Like you, you have like it's just he it's lines like, up really well numbers. with Lamar
2: if you want to try to do yeah, a Lamar exactly, thing. Sure, yeah. exactly. He he yeah. build, he, build, he builds really nice teams for sure.
0: Yeah. Yes, Matt. We're referring to uh, week week seventeen correlation. I don't know if you're as as sick <laughs> in the weeds as we are with <laughs> the best
1: I'm I'm
3: I'm familiar. <laughs> Okay, harman, okay, harman, gotcha. harman,
1: uh, <laughs> harman took a vacation and like saw his family so like uh you know i mean i think i think, I think maybe he's not thinking about nelson Aguilar leading the baltimore ravens season, that correlates with Joe and Waddle.
3: i'm not i'm not thinking about it but i understand why you guys are talking about it if that, yeah. if that, <laughs> if that makes it clear yeah no the whole time pat you were talking i was like yeah. Who's their third receiver, right? Like yeah, yeah. that offense was great last year. And that, like, Hey, what we're going to do is we're going to throw the ball to our good players. And we have three really, really, really good players. And there is a scenario you know, if this Tyreek thing goes south, like they could have one excellent player, maybe not an elite player, but like an excellent player in Jalen Waddle. And then, yeah, like Chosen the artist formerly known as Robbie, you know, with a Y and IE at one point, you know, uh, like we're we're not looking at a very uh, so so
1: weirdly enough on Underdog, he's he's chosen Anderson on DraftKings, he's Robbie Chosen. So I don't, yeah, Yeah, I don't know which one is it that screwed
2: up my DraftKings rankings for that. We like added him to the DraftKings rankings and they broke. (laughs) He's Robbie Chosen, (laughs) he's the guy that we're, I'm like
0: merging data sets from like Matt's data from like. All these different sources and he has a different he's like robbie anderson with a y in some data like robbie anderson yeah. with an I. he's like different different name on every source i'm like please guys let's, let's pick a name for this guy i was
3: about to say um, he's like yeah he's like a data scraping nightmare there was yeah. a you know when i when i merged like my old reception perception data when i was you know with the fantasy footballers and doing their draft kit stuff and then like merging it with the site there was for whatever reason in in that old data set dk metcalf was like D. K. Metcalf, and then oh, i had just written on. him in as dk metcalf because so like, i think that's how it's pretty like 95 percent sure that's how it was supposed to be and i got so i got like one insane uh email or like comment or something about how like how can i even trust you with like reliable data if you don't <laughs> even know like, what the guy you know, is like, oh geez yeah so i feel you on the on the robbie chosen anderson thing
0: yeah um, final thing on waddle i think or, or final two things i'll say I think that the risk with Waddle, I think, is not like the skill level risk. I think you guys have outlined that well. I think the risk is just Miami's systemic risk. Like, you, you look at the second yep. half splits with Miami, and they really did fall off a cliff. That could have been Tua injury-related. That could have been, you know, defenses playing these guys differently-related. I don't know, but I think there is some systemic risk with Miami. There's something like, to that. Like yeah. The,
2: they started defending the middle of the field a lot more. There was a lot yeah. of film takes on that I saw. Exactly,
0: and the second thing I'll say, um, we talked about Chosen and Anderson, all these guys. Braxton Barrios did get three and a half million guaranteed, so I, I think he's going to be the third guy don't,
1: here. Don't I know it? He's an extremely good round twenty pick. <laughs> he, on draft yeah,
0: games. yeah. Um, but anyways, let's let's move to Devonta Smith. We've alluded to Chris Olave. I think kind of outlined uh, the case here. He shows up really well here, but let's let's move on to Smith. He's a guy shows up here with six percent uh, success rate, over expected, which you know, among this grouping in the back half of the second round is really strong. Uh, Matt curious, we talked about it a little bit with Smith versus, versus AJ Brown, but I think, um, the, the sort of hot debate in the fantasy community now is like, can Devonta Smith like even surpass AJ Brown or at least like equal, equal his production from a fantasy standpoint? Um, do you think like, would you put that in? Yeah. Can we ahead. frame
2: this too? Is, is Devonta Smith versus T Higgins a little bit? Um, because they're going right next to each other in ADP. And I think in some ways it's a similar, you know, kind of overall situation in terms of, you know, one, a one B type wide receiver stuff.
3: Yeah. 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 I I think that is a really good way to frame it because like, if you just asked me the question, like who's the best, you know, number two, one B receiver, like in in this bucket right here of Jalen Waddle, DeMont Smith, and T Higgins. I think Smith is the best player of the three. Like from just a pure individual standpoint, um, is he better than AJ Brown? Or is that like possible? I mean, A.J. Brown's just so good. Like, we're talking about a guy who's been number, like, he's been in the top three or top five in success rate versus man and press coverage for three straight years now. Like, among the ve- very best receivers in the league of beating man and press coverage, and he had his highest success rate versus zone coverage last season of his entire career. And, like, yeah, he's just been one of the best receivers in the NFL for for basically since he got into the league. So it's tough to say whether Smith could be better than A.J. Brown, but I think if you're just looking at it versus T Higgins or versus Jalen Waddle, from a pure individual player perspective. I think he's the best of those three guys. And what he does really well is route running. It is nuance, and he does it from a vertical perspective, which is why he po- pops up here uh, in the success rate over expected because he's running, you know, 20.4% of his routes are nine routes. He's running above average rate of corner routes. He's within the NFL average in terms of post routes. He's not running a lot of slants and flats and stuff like that. He is definitely Winning big boy down uh, field NFL routes. He's running against press coverage. 87th percentile success rate versus press coverage in his second season. Just a really good player. And again, I think he's better from an individual standpoint than these other guys. And that's no disrespect to them. They're really good players too. I just happen to think he's a little bit better.
2: That's interesting. Do you see like the because one like when we're taking a guy like Smith, there's a, that upside of Kenny maybe force a little bit more of a you know. Can he become the 1A over A.J. Brown? Even, But even if he doesn't, like, can he just kind of keep that, like, I mean, he did lead the team in targets, I believe. Um, so can he kind of maintain that? But then there's also the, the important thing of, is this guy just so good, in, you know, uh, in combination with the other wide receiver who's so good, can they just kind of gather all the targets? And so, like, if you look at Smith versus Higgins, you see a big difference there in terms of like how their talent will kind of protect their situation and create upside for them or are they you know both good enough to where it's kind of the way people generally perceive it
3: i think that yeah there's probably there's probably a chance that he could be better than A.J. Brown, but it's probably like a 5% chance. Like, just better as a pure individual. But, but like, by the way, we're talking about 5% that he's better than one of the guys that just said has been the be- one of the best receivers in the NFL, like a top five receiver since he basically got into the league, right? So it might be a small percentage chance, but the fact that the chance exists is just bar. something yeah. – it, it, Yeah, it's a high bar to clear. But the important thing is kind of what you were saying, too, about it. we just had this conversation about the Dolphins. Like, Who's the Eagles' third receiver? Obviously, they have Dallas Goddard. Uh, you know, which is a pretty, pretty, big difference than what the Dolphins are doing. But after that, like, I love, I love these, uh, you know, Quez, concentrated baby. offenses. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Quez Watkins, he's, 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 there. He's a guy. Uh, but I mean, you know, th- if you're, you're going out there, you're throwing the ball to AJ Brown, you're throwing it to Devonta Smith, you're throwing it to Dallas Goddard for the most part. Um, so yeah, I think that. I think it's going to be a concentrated offense. I think he's going to be a huge part of it. Again, the ch- I'm I'm only saying he has such a small percent chance to be better than AJ Brown from a player perspective, just because that's how high I view AJ Brown. And he's probably never going to be better than AJ Brown
0: at like yards after the like. There's some stuff that's not captured no, yeah. in the success rate stuff, like the yak ability. I think Devonta's is actually a little underrated for his yak. Like he's not as he's not Tyler Lockett falling down after every catch, but he's he's not going to be AJ Brown just stiff arming dudes in
2: the turf and taking it to the house right let so. me let me ask this who do you think of these three guys waddle higgins smith who do you think has the most contingent value if the other guy were to miss if all three of the top options in their offenses miss miss the entire season begin an entire yeah. season out of all three of these guys who do you think has the most upset it's
3: a great question because I think all of these guys are capable of being number one receivers. Like, I think T Higgins could be a number one on a team. I think Jalen Wada could be a number one on a team. Um, I think Devonta Smith could definitely be a number one on a team. I think the best, that's where I think it's hard because I think the best situation for all of these guys is probably like if, if there's no Jamar chase and like T Higgins steps into that role, but I don't know, man, that's a, that's a hard one. I think, I think it's um, I'll take the guy who I just think is the best player though. And I think that is Devonta Smith. So I'll just double back on that. answer. I,
1: I agree yeah, with like Matt on all three prongs. I think he would have the best season. I think he's the best player and I I think he would have the most to gain because I also think his coaching staff is the best and would figure out how yeah, to optimize true. losing. A guy like AJ Brown, like I think like Alave, I mean also one like for uh Alave and speaking about these guys like Michael Thomas is going to be done playing after like six quarters. So like I'm like basically <laughs> counting Alave like that is just going to happen for him anyway. Waddles
2: the other one. guy, no.
1: Oh, I was thinking, I don't, just in my mind, in my mind, Devonta and Alave are forever mingled. Um, the same yeah. person, yeah. Well. I but yeah. like uh, I feel like Waddle would actually probably be worse without. Tyreek I was gonna, I was gonna That's make argument more, like, the argument
0: for like the offense looks so broken so in bad 2021 without Tyreek and like who is playing on is it chosen Anderson on the outside like man I think that gets tough for Waddle if Tyreek's not there obviously the volume ceiling could be crazy right but like is that offense functional um it's, I it's think the- chosen
1: it's chosen Burrios Durham Smythe
0: yeah, I think, like, whereas Philadelphia, I think the offense can still be functional without A.J. Brown, just because Jalen Hurts is so damn good. You know, they got talented running backs. They got Dallas Goddard. I think, obviously, it's worse without A.J. Brown, but it doesn't get to, like, just unusable. I do worry a little bit about Miami without Tyreek. Like, is that even a functional offense? Yeah, but... I get that.
3: It, we're we're getting in, definitely into the weeds a lot with, like, the the Dolphins part of it, but – you know, you mentioned I think one of you guys said that there were like film takes about like when they've you know closed up the middle of the field, they're not offering that to Tua and how he struggled with that a little bit. A lot of that too is like they're playing physical press coverage on these receivers on the outside. And because a lot of teams early in the year were just scared to get like, all right, you you press Tyreek, you press Jalen Waddle, but you're gonna get ripped over the top a couple of times per game. And that is true, but you know, the rest of the snaps can be problematic for the quarterback i mean these guys can beat press coverage but the guy who struggles with it more is Jalen waddle so mm-hmm. uh you know that's that's and it's struggling like a relative term right he has like a 69 percent success rate versus man he's he's weaker against uh press coverage than some of these other guys we're talking about so it's not like a, a i would say a true weakness in his game but when you're picking nits among top receivers here it's something to point out got it
0: let's um i'll give the floor uh davis pat any any final questions about any of these other round one or two wide receivers uh, while we have Matt that you want to pick his brain on or Pat
2: or Pat? Do you have something I, to say? In response no, to that? I don't. I I have a question about guy on the next slide. I think so. Okay. David, David, have any questions? Go ahead.
1: No, no, I'm good. Okay. I think this data to me is like way more interesting with guys worth arguing about. Like no one's going to stake their reputation on Jalen Waddle being bad, but someone might be someone that we know might even be like, Oh, DK Metcalf's a little overrated.
2: Well, that's who I want to
0: talk about. Yeah, I know. Okay. Um, oh, no. yeah. Get, f- dive into, to Metcalf then. then well,
2: um, I mean, I guess so it did. Okay. So Tyler Lockett made this. Um, he's been great. Uh, I think he was one or two in ESPN's open score last year as well. Um, Yeah, he was second behind Deontay Johnson there, so the dude is has not fallen off. And DK Metcalf, obviously, very good as well. But this is kind of as we talk about the concentrated offense question. Like, I think sometimes people get a little bit too concerned about who the one, you know, the one versus the two. It's like if you're an explosive offense and it's a concentrated offense, you know, it doesn't always matter that much who the top wide receiver is Who the secondary wide receiver is partly, I think because wide receiver talent is such an important part of this whole question. Like the reason there's a reason why the Dolphins offensive is so concentrated. I mean, Mike McDaniel literally built a system around getting two guys the yeah. ball because those are the two best guys by miles, you know, that he can get the ball, uh, the guys, he can get the ball into their hands. So concentrated offense is, with two wide receivers, great, maybe even better than just one really good guy. But when you get to three, then it can get a little bit more tricky. And now we have this with the Seahawks, where you've got DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and Jackson Smith and Jigba, who looks like he has a pretty high ceiling as a target earner. And I think the specific way that he wins could be a real problem for the other guys in the offense, because he could be more of just, you know, a target dominator and just getting a lot of, volume sucking volume out of the offense for the other guys um so how protected do you think dk metcalf and tyler lockett are from jackson smith and jigba hitting the ground running
3: yeah i mean look i've been a tyler lockett guy for davis knows this you know i've been a tyler lockett guy for a long time you know we've had we've had a lot of discussions over the year that's like uh, back in the nfl podcast days davis about like tyler lockett and when i was too too high on him too early right um I, I love Tyler lock i think he's a great player i think you i can easily make a case that dK Metcalf has been an awesome player the last few years i can just as easily make a case that Tyler lock has been the best receiver on that team the last few years even though like Metcalf checks the prototypical size speed uh barometers we usually like to see i think it's really tough like i i don't think that the, the, my problem with these two receivers is that i don't i think there's like other than age which i guess is is is, is certainly a variable there's no doubt about that but like you said pat i don't think there's any evidence that locket has fallen off to this point i don't understand like if we're talking about who's protected of the two why locket would be less protected or less insulated from jackson smith and jigba than metcalf would be i think it's like kind of a coin flip i guess the the one thing you could say too is that like metcalf has been a, a true x receiver uh and you know this like one of these guys and like that's probably not jackson smith and jigba's role but to me, I just think they're going to come out there and they're going to play in eleven personnel a ton. I don't care what B. Carroll says about two, you know, two tight ends. Like the way NFL coaches are, he's not—he's not going to come out there and be like, "Okay, well, we're playing eleven personnel now." Because when the we rubber just, meets yeah. the road, yeah, get <laughs> Will
1: Disley out playing. There. He's not playing Will <laughs> Disley over yeah, Smith yeah. and Jigba. Like if Smith no, and Jigba 100%. shows up and he is who they think he is, it's eleven personnel from the jump. My and I know Corrine doesn't agree with this, but my thought has always been Metcalf is the one who is completely insulated. He just is going to do what he's always done. He's going to score 10 touchdowns. Maybe he never achieves the peak of what he could with his physical gifts because he's always playing with another great wide receiver. And maybe Metcalf is a B plus wide receiver and not an A minus wide receiver. So he'll never be Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson or whoever, but nothing Smith and Jigba or Tyler Lockett could do would change the base role that he has, like I, I just, I don't, I do not foresee an offense where DK Metcalf ends the season with 85 targets because Lockett and Metcalf were just that much, or Lockett and Smith and Jigbo were that much better than him. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll eat it, but I feel pretty good about that. Is
0: that like when we talk about like blocking Matt, mattering Matt? Like that's what I'm thinking. Like we get to week. 14 or get to the end of the year in two wide receiver sets we're in there when they're at the goal line there's no way they're taking dk metcalf off the field yeah, for no two no chance. Of these, right like he's locked so that's where i kind of agree with you davis and that like in terms of like physically being on the field in two wide receiver sets i feel like he's pretty safe whereas i can see the argument for Lockett being pushed out by the end of the year i can I see I that i like, can see that like, happening Lock, i don't Lock, think it's, it's also... likely but it's possible
1: Lockett's also at that stage where what we talked about three weeks ago, like where when you look at things at an aging curve, it looks nice and gentle, but it's not nice right, and gentle right. when it happens to a that's single strange. guy. And that's far more likely to happen. So uh, like, uh, obviously Metcalf is still on the ascendancy of that. Like if you told me this was Lockett's like, you know, Larry Fitzgerald season where he was a hundred receptions, a thousand yards, and then had 600 receptions. And we never thought about him again. That could, that could be, t- I mean, Tyler Lockett's also very susceptible to like, if he did get hurt, uh, I mean, you know, at 31 years old, like his recovery is going to be harder. His role yep. could change and he could get Wally pipped pretty easy. Um, like I just, I I don't, I don't think any, there's no debate about who DK Metcalf is, right? Like it's just, a, it, honestly, his fantasy season will be decided by if he scores eight touchdowns, it's going to be a bad season. If he scores 14, it's going to be a really good one. And that feels like it's just, that's just it.
2: But Matt, can I get a little more of your thoughts on, on, just how good Metcalf is like, do you agree that he's kind of like a B plus wide receiver?
3: Yeah, pro- probably uh, just because I think he's, you know, you look at his success rates from last year, which wasn't, wasn't one of his best years, but was still a really quality season. Like we're talking 80th percentile against man, 77th percentile against press and 32nd against zone, which is pretty typical of these like non elite X receivers that we've talked about. Uh, you know, Mike Evans, I think it fits into that group. Evans is great. Like you might be like a hall of fame player, but, I mean, I don't know. That's actually an interesting debate if he's like a Hall of Fame player because I don't think he's ever necessarily been like a top five player at the position. He's got to gotta be if he,
2: if he keeps just hitting. Because he's such a compiler. Yeah, right. Do it yeah. two more years and he's in. Yeah. A thousand, I know, yards, a
1: thousand yards at uh, at his age with Baker Mayfield. Kyle he Brown, should get in for that. Yeah. And,
3: he should get in for anyways, that
2: alone.
1: It's going to. It's Yeah, no no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Be I, his finest accomplishment. I,
3: but I think that that's kind of where I'd view him if I'm like ranking NFL receivers. I think he's like a B. I think both him and Tyler Lockett are probably A to B plus type receivers as opposed to like A plus type receivers. Just And and, and I think that's saying a lot. I think he's, they're, they're really, really good players. But yeah, that's probably where I'd I'd view them.
2: Yeah, my, my thing with Metcalf is like, I guess it just feels expensive. Like I, I have to pay like early to mid, maybe the late, Sometimes third round price for him, and you know it's like if it's not a concentrated offense. I mean, like how how much better is DK Metcalf than Brandon Ayuk,
3: dude? I, you're asking the wrong person that question, but uh, am cause... I? Because I'm not <laughs> drafting
2: a lot of Metcalf. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but I mean, I, I think that's a I think that's a bit of like you gotta you gotta read the board. Like Metcalf to me is unquestionably better than Ridley. He's not unquestionably better to me than Debo, but I think you can play that. You can just middle those guys when they're on the board. Unquestionably better than Cooper's situation, because one, they're going to be spending the entire back half of the season playing in a polar vortex and like the worst destruct like the way that stadium is constructed makes the wind swirl around. It's why Cleveland plays a bunch (laughs) of games every year with the total. This is this is true. They go look, they play. They play a bunch of games with totals in like 32, like more than any yeah. other team. They have these super low totals. No one, no one here is disrespecting Keenan Allen. He's a bad fit for the scoring system in 0.5 PPR, no bonuses. Christian Watson, sure, whatever. Maybe he's this year's Amon Ross St. Brown. Maybe he's this year's, you know, McCole Hardman, right? Yeah. Judy, obvious question marks. London, obvious volume question marks. Weirdly enough, no question marks for me really about McLaurin. Hopkins like like, all these guys after him have such giant question marks and really your only question mark about Metcalf I I just I Corinne because I don't even think like do you really see him seeing less than 100 targets even if Smith and Jigba is that good
2: it's just that I don't want to I'm with Sam on the you know Sam and I have a very very strong disagreement but it's like essentially boiled down to like if we're on the clock in the second round, do we want to take Chris Olave or Tony Pollard? And I actually am not sure at this point what else we disagree on with this two, three <laughs> turn situation. Because like I just don't why should I have to rip open this wide receiver tier when I can take a running back who normally costs me a second round pick? So that's where I'm just like, I'll I'll take Josh Jacobs, I'll take Reminder Stevenson, I'll take Derrick Henry, I'll take Brees Hall. Um yeah, you know, that's
1: that's what I do too, but I find I still get I'll more take Mark than Andrews. Met- yeah, I find I still get more than enough Metcalf playing it that way. Honestly. So that's,
0: yeah, that's where I'm at. Um, I want to move on to other guys, but I'm in the same boat where if those running backs are all gone, I'm kind of with you, Davis, that I like Metcalf better than the other wide receivers in this tier. But it's I just do too, so to be clear. Yeah. It just so often happens to me that, yeah, like I have Brees staring at me or even like, yeah. you know, Mark Andrews and I can set up the Lamar, Mark Andrews stack that yeah. might be staring at me. Like it's just hard for me to click Metcalf. Um, just because of where he's placed on the boards. But let's move on to to Calvin Ridley. I think he's a super interesting player to evaluate through the reception perception lens because A, uh, we haven't seen him in a year and a half and B, he's switching teams. So figuring out who he is as an isolated player is, is actually particularly important in this instance. So this data, obviously there's no data from 2022 on Ridley, he didn't play. This data is from his 2020 and 2021 sample. And Matt, your data shows really good things for Calvin Ridley. Um, some reasons why he's popping in this success rate over expected. He, he faced a high rate of double coverage and actually did pretty well against it. Um, high success rate on challenging routes down the field, the corner, the nine, the post, um, and just overall very diverse route tree, sort of low percentage of the Mickey Mouse uh, gimmicky routes, So that, that bumps him up as well. Uh, but just yeah, really curious, like the, the Ridley stuff is so tricky this year. Really, really curious, like how you're valuing him with all this unknowns um, in 2023.
3: Yeah, I thought just on the like him and Metcalf, too, to me are like everybody that comes after, with the exception of Keenan Allen, just because he's a tough player, like Davis said, to read in the, in the scoring format and also just like from an age curve perspective. But like these two guys are, I think, properly valued over Samuel and Cooper and Watson and Judy just because they're all these two are so, like much better players than any of those guys and that includes like Ridley versus Metcalf is interesting just because I think they're both kind of the last time we the last time we saw Calvin Ridley, he was in that like a minus, you know, B, you know a level tier to me as an individual player. Um, g- great route runner, especially downfield, like you mentioned. And he's a guy that was doing it a lot as a true X receiver in 2020 and 2021, um, despite being a smaller player. He's just su- again, such a good technician, so explosive. He, he's so hard to, to read just because is he going to look like even in 21 when his efficiency sort of went down a little bit, like from a yards per target standpoint, you know, he's playing with what was Matt Ryan. And like, we know what Matt Ryan ended up being the year after that. Like, I think it's reasonable to conclude, like he wasn't a great, great quarterback as an individual perspective in 21. And there were just some small mistakes from Ridley and like contested situations and some, you know, some bad drops and stuff that in like a five game sample is going to mess with you a little bit, but He's a tough player to read because, again, last time we saw him, I think he was like an A minus, A level receiver. It's just like, what is he going to be after a year and a half off? But I think, for, from a player isolating standpoint, he's very good.
2: And how yeah. sticky do you think these skills are? Like, you know, just in general, because I think Ridley's such a interesting example of, you know, he got suspended for something. Um, he's missed time not because of injury, right? He's yeah. Hopefully, you know, he's going to be very similar to the guy that we saw. But at the same time, he's not young anymore. He's He's sneaky old. Yeah, Yeah. he came in really old, right? So how he was? was He he was was like
1: he he was like thirty three when he graduated. (laughs) Yeah,
2: he turns (laughs) twenty nine in December. So yes, yeah, yeah, he's 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 truly sneaky old. Yeah, Um, he's
1: he's closer in age to Cooper Cup than DK Metcalf, for example. Yeah,
2: Yeah. okay. So like, it just is sort of like the kind of the base rate or like you know pull back and and kind of look at the macro view here like how risky is it to look at a guy's you know 2020 success rate and be like well it was awesome then now it's entering 2023 um should we how much weight would you generally you know suggest putting on on that on that evaluation i think
3: i think it's really risky um and like that risk is no and it's a kind of an unknowable question i think like i have no idea right. because we've ne- right. we've never seen really a player take this type of gap um like josh gordon's big season was prior was prior to reception perception so like i don't actually have you know josh gordon's numbers from like tw- like 2012 to 2013 and stuff like that he'd be the only one that Would be a good example. You should
2: chart his breakout season. That seems like (laughs) a good use of time.
3: When, when, uh, yeah, yeah. Because I definitely have so much of that on my hands. You you don't know. You do not know how many like randos get suggested in my Discord like on a daily basis. Oh, I
0: I suggested some randos. Brandon Lloyd. Do Brandon Lloyd.
3: (laughs) I Brandon Lloyd actually came up in a discussion one point when when I thought there was like some risk that uh, this 2020 season was going to get canceled for COVID. That was one of my ideas. Was like. Oh, you know, yeah, definitely try to definitely try to pay the bills on like, hey, come subscribe to this website, you know, with historical data from like Josh Gordon and like Randy Moss's (laughs) big seas or something like that. It would have worked on me. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've there, already subscribed,
2: a, but I would have I have maintained my
3: subscription. <laughs> <laughs> one of these days, one of these days. Um I, I would love to. Do that. But no, but seriously, like there was a time too when like Gordon uh came back, I think it was in 2017. That date that season is in the RP database and it was really good. And he's a guy that Hmm. From a skill standpoint is different than is definitely different than Ridley because I think like Ridley's more of he definitely he kind of has like old man game already and that he's a great route runner and he's not like the he's an explosive player but I wouldn't say that he's on like the Olave level of explosive route running but they're kind of in the same bucket Uh, so I think it's game that should age well it's just the you know year and a half layoff that's that's tough and i think the risk really isn't baked into his his adp at all um
1: i'm I'm totally with you they're they're just treating him like calvin ridley is back and is a member of the jacksonville jaguars
3: so and like how like how likely is that to be the case because i think that that if that if like we're three weeks into the season he's just calvin ridley it would be, be
1: it would be way weirder it would be way weirder if he came back and was just calvin ridley like the same guy. That we just saw then if he came back and like got tackled once and was like holy shit i've been tackled (laughs) in two years that was wild i don't know how about this anymore like it would be way weirder in my opinion i'm kind i'm kind of like i don't
3: know i I kind of think i'd be not surprised at all because i'm like yeah good players are just good but like good players taking a year and a half off is 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 tough to to measure so i don't know i guess i won't be surprised either way really which is a stupid thing do you have any thoughts
2: do you have any thoughts on like the, you know, you mentioned kind of the old man game and, you know, some uh, parts of wide receivers games, maybe aging a little bit better. Like that, that is such an interesting idea to me because I yeah. think we kind of get like, I'll hear stuff like, Oh, big wide receivers don't age well. And it's like generally because a couple of big wide receivers have, have fallen off or like, you know, Calvin Johnson retired really early or some stuff, but you know, some guys seem to be aging very well as big wide receivers. And then, like, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster is aged, he's not even like old yet and he's already super old, you know? So it's like, there's, it doesn't seem quite as intuitive as that is like, Oh, it's tough to be a big wide receiver as you age. But I do imagine like, you know, we've all kind of played basketball with like the old guy at the park who doesn't, you know, knows everywhere to be. He's got the, the nice old man game. Um, I kind of think there's something to that, right? Like certain skills are going to age. So it might be more around skills rather than, Kind of physical archetype um, but what what are your thoughts on kind of how wide receiver games age?
3: I think the fact that we are so um kind of variable and where these guys line up it, it helps a lot with these aging curves um, because like you talk, especially the big receivers you know we talked about Larry Fitzgerald got mentioned uh, mm. in the Tyler Lockett discussion he's a great example of a guy that went from being a big perimeter to receiver beat to being like that big slot receiver uh, in, in like a power slot Cooper Cup type of role that we think about now he was kind of one of the first guys playing that position and that helped offset some of the you know that like the explosiveness might have gone down like running a different type of route tree you know the Allen robinson thing we talked about like i can totally see him being an absolutely poor fit at as the rams x receiver at this point of his career but maybe being a decent fit good decent to good fit as a big slot receiver for the steelers this year like, is that I think what he was awesome. for them
2: was he kind of a yeah, classic oh, yeah last year? yeah
3: true true per, like they sold us a lot of that bullshit about like we can't wait to mix up his route tree and move, use him at a lot of different positions and then like up until he got hurt, basically, he's he's stuck to the line of scrimmage and not oh, moving around and running like a true – like a, a very, very, very vanilla route tree. So, I, you know, there's a lot of excuses for why that might have been whatever. So, yeah, I think – that but but he's a guy that might recover a little bit better in, in a different mm-hmm. type of role. But I, I think um, – another thing I said earlier was like people taking the charts of guys and just putting it on Twitter and like, oh, you know, this, I, this is a thing that I think – people do that with a guy like DeAndre Hopkins right now. And Hopkins was very good last year in reception perception, but there's a clear drop off from what like his elite seasons in huh. like 2019 and 2020. So I, I, and I'm willing to say that like I have no idea then what 2023 is going to look like, right? Like if it's another season that looks like 2022, where he's not at his best, but he's still pretty good, I guess that wouldn't be surprising. But like you look at a guy like Des Bryant, 2016, 71.1% success rate, uh, versus man coverage, and then 2017. 52.1 percent like a massive drop off basically where it looked like he's aging gracefully but then his last season in dallas was kind of a disaster he gets cut nobody picks him up until like november he gets hurt and then like he's playing for the ravens you know at some point in like a bit role so honestly it's one of the hardest things i think to predict using reception perception data is like aging curves and when these guys might fall off
0: yeah the aging stuff is yeah is super interesting and sort of along those lines um I want to move on to Traylon Burks here. I guess on the other side of aging, there's the the year two, year three breakout aspect of fantasy, right? That everyone talks about. Um, And I'm really curious with a guy like Burks showing up here um, with a below 4% success rate over expected. It's kind of by far uh, the worst on this chart, but at the same time, uh, he's a young player. Uh, He was asked to do something completely different in year one in Tennessee than he did his entire uh, collegiate career. He's basically a slot uh, player in college, played off the line a bunch, and the Titans asked him to be a true X wide receiver on the outside. So you got to give some credit to him for learning some, something completely new. I guess the question for you, Matt, is like, how often do we see big jumps, uh, you know, from, from year one to year two with a player like Burks who doesn't show up super well in your data in year one? Like, are, are you do you think like pricing him in this low end wide receiver three range is fair? Or do you think that's still... Um, overvalued
3: I think it's fair despite the questions that I like the clear questions I have about his game like you mentioned there were he he was playing a totally different position basically in the NFL than he was in college and just to put some numbers behind that um, you know in Like as a year one player, he lined up uh, almost 75% of his sample snaps uh, were on the line of scrimmage and was outside for 83.5%. His final year at Arkansas in reception perception, he took 80.5% of his snaps in the slot or backfield and was 84% of snaps off the line. So like basically a complete flip of those two numbers there. And that's a really hard transition to make for a guy in his rookie season, especially somebody who like – dealt with offseason issues uh you know the conditioning stuff he didn't like hit the ground running right away you know he then gets banged up in season um i think he's he's a tough player to read because of that there are things he's really good at like his slant route success rate's awesome his dig route success rate's pretty good too like he runs those big inbreaking breaking uh, crossers against play action. He's, he's great at that stuff. I don't think he offers nearly the same juice after the catch that people thought he did just because he kind of had that like goofy Mickey Mouse role in college. But I think there's a chance he's like, I, I think the ceiling on him is lower than people think, but I think he's got a chance to be a decent player. And then, um yeah I, I think the fact that he hasn't gotten too steamed up is probably fair because i think there are real risks with him as a player uh i i'll end to the question about like guys who have made the jump there are a couple of, like dj moore was really raw as a route runner had a bad season took a good season a uh, second season jump um you know i can think of, like kenny Galladay is another one who took a big jump in his second season then third season obviously didn't go so well and then Cortland sutton's like another one uh there are a lot of guys who just are what they are sometimes you'll see a guy who's really like raw as a route runner, take that step in year two and year three. I think Burks could be that guy. Cause he shows some signals on, on, like I said, those in breaking routes, but he might be a guy who gets kind of pigeonholed and stuck in that role. If that makes any sense.
0: That makes sense, Pat. I know you're bullish on, on Burks. i um, curious
2: your, your thoughts on, on all that. No, I mean, I, I'm bullish on Burks. So I just heard, uh, to me, you were gushing about Burke. So I'm going
1: to uh... <laughs> That was, that was, uh, I, all I heard, all I heard was he was asked to do something really hard and he didn't completely flail and, and shit himself. Yeah. So good by me. Yeah. 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 No, that's,
3: that's, that's, that's true. 100%. Yeah. A 100% reasonable take, uh, off of his rookie season. Uh, I think that's just, it, then again if you look at it it's like well he's still a limited player incomplete player and he always is that guy i think that won't be surprising but i think there's definitely there's definitely a chance that he takes that 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 jump that we're talking about just because he didn't completely shit himself at doing something very hard and very different from what he was doing as a as a collegiate player
2: i'm also encouraged that he does you know have some clear stre- clear strengths as a wide receiver and it's like yeah. if he can be good enough just to be out there all the time have them design the offense where he's seeing a lot of first reads getting a lot of kind of you know maybe some maybe he does get some design stuff um from time to time and he's just out there enough the weaknesses don't even need to be like they just need to be not bad enough to where he you know is turning them off right yeah um yeah yeah.
3: one thing I'm concerned about though is that the offense might just be a disaster oh yeah right which which I think that's I think that is a risk he's a risk a little bit as an individual player which is why I think like I'm not freaking out at where he, you know, like wide receiver thirty-five. I'm not freaking out to take him. I'm not freaking out to fade him. I guess at that price, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, I think he moves up because apparently um, Levis is behind Malik Willis right now. Um, I think the drum beat's <laughs> going to be Tannehill uh, this summer, and then. I the
1: mean, every game. day that Tannehill remains on the roster, it's more likely they're at least competent.
2: Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And if that concern disappears. And they don't sign Hopkins. I think I think Burks is going to move up. Um, the so the, the Hopkins thing is what I was going to bring up. Uh,
0: apparently, in the reporting, the Titans are sort of the favorite right now. They've been okay. more aggressive than New England is what I've read. So I th- like I think that's like a, an ADP risk, but not like like I actually kind of hope for Burks that Hopkins is there and the
2: offense is better. Yeah, right? Matt, like, what are your I, thoughts on how would these yeah. how would those two mesh together? Like would yeah, Burks stop playing X or is Hopkins still an X?
3: I, I I think Hopkins would like last we saw him was still as much in in that offense as Davis mentioned earlier. Like there is a true X receiver. He's still profiles as that should be his best role is like as an X receiver. But like I talked about when these guys get older, sometimes it helps to, to move them out of that position. And then that could keep Burks in the X receiver position. I don't feel the same way as like when uh, Julio Jones got to Tennessee. And even though that move didn't work out, like, in hindsight we know that but i was like okay i'm still taking aj brown because i think i really believe bullishly in like aj brown's talent that way i don't really feel that way with with Traylon burks um but i think th- i think there these guys can complement each other and it could even be from like an alignment standpoint if they're gonna have hopkins go out there and just be the true x like it could be good for burks to be an off ball an off ball player as opposed to a strictly on the line guy like he was in year one and i mean to, to that point too like I mean, shoot. Who who else was playing X receiver for the Titans last year, and who is going to play X receiver other than Traylon Burks this year if they don't sign DeAndre I mean, Hopkins? Like, yeah, it's Nick not going to be Kyle westbrook Phillips. King. It's not going to be Nick westbrook Kikina or whatever. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. I mean, the
0: yeah, the depth was bad last year, and it got like even like at least they had Woods and and Austin Hooper. Like those guys are not stud NFL players, but they're confident. They lost both of those guys. Now it's like, man, Chris yeah. Moore is Chris Moore starting I think at it's X? Chris like, Moore. like. I don't, yeah. Racy it's, it's
1: Racy be
2: weird.
3: McMath, yeah. I I want to weird out that hype train. Right? Yeah. Um,
2: <laughs> I I want to ask you about Jerry Judy on this chart because that to me I've had a tough time with his ADP, but uh, it's, you know I know Sean Siegel really likes him, uh, Pete Overzet likes him. There's kind of been this drumbeat around him It's like you know he's shown he can do a couple different things, but one of the things you always hear about Jerry Judy is he's a great route runner. So to see him here with a minus one percent success rate over expected jumps out to me as a red flag because it's like this is supposed to be what this guy does well. So where are you at on, on him? And it's kind of a crowded or sort of maybe not crowded, but uncertain situation in Denver with, you know, the amount of wide receivers they have.
3: Yeah, one of my strongest takes last year was that I thought this offense I didn't think it was going to be as bad as it ended up being, but I thought this entire skill position room was com- was super overrated. The the Broncos like receiver room I I was not not in you know, on any of those dudes last year, you know, especially where they got steamed up to being. And I I had my concerns about Russ going from Seattle to Denver. And again, those were worse than I, I thought they could have been. So I'm I've never been the biggest like Judy or Sutton fan um as individual players. I think they've got at best a bunch of like wide receiver twos there. And you mentioned the the route running stuff with Jerry Judy. He's still living a lot on his like collegiate reputation as a route runner. Um and like the practice videos that even like even last week like uh, there was literally
1: there was literally one going around last week like are we ready to talk about how judy is going to finish as a wide receiver (laughs) one this year and it was just him him beating a traffic cone like yeah yeah, i I I might have on that route
3: (laughs) i might have been i might have been like 10 land sharks deep on the beach but i did manage to see that one uh, (laughs) video (laughs) yeah uh that and that's a great example of like why you see stuff like that and you your brain fills in the information like great collegiate route runner He's still beating, you know, (laughs) XFL players on on a field, you know, in Alabama somewhere or whatever. And, uh, you know, he's still a great router. I don't think he has been as a pro. And, like, there's a reason he's been a volatile up-and-down player from a production standpoint. Because he's a volatile up-and-down player. Like, he's not bad. He's got a 70.6% success rate versus man coverage. That's a 63rd percentile score. That's not bad. But 49th against press. 5th percentile against zone coverage. Some of that can be poor (laughs) offensive design. But a lot of that is because he's not a consistent player. Like he's, he's very sort of like he's actually pretty similar to Amari Cooper, who um, is another like up and down producer because he's an up and down player. And I think he had a great season last year, but he's had some lesser seasons throughout the course of his career. And I think some of those concerns have, have stuck with Judy as well. So I'm, I'm with you that like, maybe I look like, I don't think, again, you're not going to sit here and like find anywhere where I'm saying Jerry Judy is bad, but I'm, I, there's no way like wide receiver 21 there are other guys going after i'm i'm 100 taking over judy so are you Not in to... on
1: are you in on Dulcich? do you think Dulcich is a good is a good route runner
3: i mean dude I, tight don't do t- David, David I don't do i don't do tight end on Dulcich. <laughs> i'm
1: just <laughs> trying to, i know it's like i have i literally have no opinion on if greg Dulcich is a good nfl tight end or whatever it's just like the role seems appealing but i also thought the same thing about alberto and i learned my well, lesson what it,
2: yeah i mean there's other i mean we got Marvin mims here we've got tim patrick here like thoughts on on like how protected are sutton and judy from those guys
3: like i don't think they're protected at all And, and but and that's kind of my thing is i think it's weird to that like we look at this receiver core that like you said probably goes four deep and i don't think any of these guys are true number ones i guess that's the that's like where you really have to have a stance that judy is a is not just a good player but like a true legit number one receiver and Like we're talking about, like he's the same quarterback too. You know, I think Russ is going to have a a good, a good, like a better season this year than he did last year. Like I think Sean Payton is an offensive elevator, and I mean certainly the coaching change from Nate Hackett to Sean Payton is is dramatic. But I think Marvin Mims is is was a really good prospect, and like could be a guy that hits the ground running as a speed slot receiver. A lot of the speed slot receiver stuff is what Jerry Judy's been best at too. I think Cortland Sutton is, he's, he's, was overrated last year, but I almost think like he's getting too discounted this year. Like he's a fine, you know, average, maybe slightly below average starting X receiver, but he's probably the only X receiver on the roster. So Have I, you done I, I think Sutton,
2: it's, cause he's not on the site yet. Is he? If you did him. Nah, he's game.
3: not a guy I've done from this okay. past year, but his his prior seasons are on on the site. And There's a few I have like from the in-season charting data that I that I did. So like 3-4 games I think uh are in the in-season tracker and yeah, they weren't they weren't very good, but neither were neither was his well, what uh is 2021 worth season.
2: In open score, Jerry Judy's 11th and Sutton's 12th. So they were like That's dead weird. even in that metric. Um last year so yeah, strange. I don't know. I've been wondering if like the Sutton, the Sutton is dead now narrative has, like kind of jumped the shark a little bit.
3: I think I think it's jumped the shark almost just like like he was a true number one elite player mm-hmm. ready to break out mm-hmm. with a good quarterback and jumped the shark last year. I think that there's a truth there is probably somewhere in the middle, which is that I don't think like it's actually funny. I posted this. I, I did the thing I I said I didn't like where I just posted the chart with and like made a joke about it type of thing on Twitter where like they had there was that headline that they had. Cortland Sutton looking at Michael Thomas tape uh, from 2019 or whatever. And then you look at like the route, the only real route that 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 Cortland Sutton runs really well is like the slant route. (laughs) So I think it is kind of interesting at least to think like if there's going to be West, yeah, right. Yeah. There's gonna be like an X receiver just running a bunch of in-breaking short routes. Like that is actually the thing that Cortland Sutton hmm. does really well. He's not really a vertical extra receiver, so I think the fact that yeah, the, like the ADP assumes that Jerry Judy's just so much better than these guys. I don't know if that's really the truth. Yeah.
0: All right. Speaking of speaking of inconsistent guys, uh, if, if Jerry Judy's inconsistent, I don't know what we call uh, Kadarius Tony. Um, he he shows up here on this chart. Sam, first with, of all,
1: how dare you?
2: <laughs> Sorry
0: Tony's no, was... very
1: consistent. he never plays yeah, and he gets but... <laughs> open when he does he has
2: been incredibly he's,
0: consistent. He's consistent at playing less than 20 percent of the snaps but yeah, Tony I think is one of the the most polarizing guys in fantasy this year. I don't get it at all why he's going this high um so maybe I'm just uh you know confirming my biases here with looking at this chart but yeah Matt, can you talk through can you talk through Tony? I guess my question for you like more specifically is like, I think Tony is perceived as this guy that has this unbelievable ceiling because, in my mind, because he has cool highlights and because he plays with Patrick Mahomes. But have you seen anything in the data or your charts? They're also of him talking that, him up a lot. Is there number one? That's that's true. Yeah. But like. But like, are, are they, are they really, or is
3: that, are they really, or is that like extrapolating some like positive quotes is like, they're really high on his talent, but, but yeah. does that really truly really mean they view him as like a true number one receiver? I think when you really critically read what they've said, that's not necessarily the case. This but they is um, the same, um, same organization that, in that keeps or... posting,
1: they keep posting Justin Ross clips. So I don't think I think we yeah, can just true. take it all with a grain of salt.
3: Yeah, they're they're clearly trying to you know get the get the clicks and and stuff like that from somebody in their in their social media department has to be like on fantasy has to be like on dynasty. No, no, department.
1: someone someone in their social yeah, media Davis. department had to have gone to Clemson. They had had to have. It has to be a Clemson connection. <laughs> That's the only explanation for how there's a new Justin Ross quote or video once a week for a guy who's like nineteenth string. Yeah, I, I mean,
3: either either or a deep dynasty Davis, sicko maybe. or went to Clemson.
2: maybe he's good. <laughs> Maybe
1: there's I'm one not. chief
2: that Davis won't draft in the history of the organization, and it's Justin Ross. <laughs>
1: so I've I drafted Clyde, I've drafted Clyde, I've drafted Generic Prince more times than I've taken Justin <laughs> Ross. <laughs> oh, god,
0: <laughs> Matt, I'm, okay, I'm here stuck with Tony. It like, might be a good take. To- through the data, to or could you squint with Tony's profile and like see, like if you were forced to make the case for him being a wide receiver, one, like could you even do it? Or like, I just want to know how, how bad is it?
2: How do, Yeah, how does? Because we're. I think are you on Tony Davis? Are you drafting him?
1: Just when I take Mahomes, that that's okay. I I probably I probably literally through like three hundred teams, like probably have no Tony without Mahomes.
2: So we're all going to be pretty underweight, Tony.
1: Well, how Mahomes is my he... second most drafted quarterback, so I'm probably overweight, Tony. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs>
2: okay, all right. So two of us will be underweight, Tony. And uh, how does he like Matt? Just tell us like how he buries us. That's kind of what I'm. I want to
3: hear. He would have to be doing stuff that we have never seen him do. Like he would have to. He would have to be playing and excelling in a role that we have not seen him play or excel in as an NFL player or even his final year at, at Florida like he's I said in his collegiate evaluation that like his NFL team was going to be starting from square one as a route runner and I mean I think that's more like we talk about Mickey Mouse routes like he's the king of Mickey Mouse routes I couldn't care less about what he's doing on 17.1% of his routes are screens 14.5% of his routes are, are, are flat routes like And he has not shown the skills at all that he's going to be like a a press man coverage beater uh, at at the NFL level at this point. I think he showed a couple of games uh, and we're talking again, we're talking about a player that like barely ever plays. So I made this I've I've said this at the beginning of his uh, profile from last year that like Tony hits the mark of a. Full reception perception sample, and that like I got eight games on him, but that eight games contained 127 <laughs> snaps and 76 <laughs> I was, I was routes. Say, like six routes? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So so like keep that in mind. This guy barely ever plays, but even uh in his rookie season, he had a decent success rate versus zone, but some of that is on the Mickey Mouse routes. And again, there's nothing that, that he's shown as an NFL player that like he can go out and like line up outside and beat press man coverage, period. Like, the, he would have to be doing stuff that we have never seen him do, which maybe that's possible, but I really don't even think the Chiefs are, are banking on that. I think that's kind of, like, nonsense.
2: Can I pitch you a, some content uh, for the site? Um, I think, you know, <laughs> YouTube shorts are kind of blowing up right now. TikTok obviously taking off. You should just do his uh, his Super Bowl. Just chart his <laughs> Super Bowl routes as a, as a TikTok. <laughs>
1: Hey, Five his, his Super Bowl MVP caliber performance, totally.
2: I think it's inside the lab. <laughs> yeah,
0: that punt return. Do you chart punt returns? Because that was a really key punt return. You might have. To I'm closer.
3: I'm closer to charting tight ends than uh, than punt returns. <laughs> uh, and I will. And I will never chart a tight end. So. Can we
1: just? Can we? Can we end? Can we end the show with Matt dunking on Alan Lazard, who was the worst pick on the board last year, and somehow is trying to <laughs> is trying to dupe people into also being the worst pick again? Walking matters. I, so, blocking,
3: bro blocking matters that's why he's gonna get matters. on the field a ton
1: blocking <laughs> matters and like listening to aaron Rodgers, some uh like sum up the loose change documentary at lunch every single day matters like i think that's how alan lazard ended up in new york Jets.
2: and it, if as we're wrapping up if we can get your thoughts on dobbs too and that scene yeah moment. that was
0: gonna be the one because in sort of the um i don't know there, there's a, a dobbs contingent and i i just like don't get it i got it when he was really cheap but like i don't know the the yards per route run stuff doesn't look great on him you know he was a day three guy they brought in jaden reed in day two like the charting stuff on him doesn't look great either on matt stuff or the open score stuff so i guess dobbs is a guy that i have not gotten the price rise at all but yeah matt curious what you thought of his rookie year
3: i think he showed as a day three receiver that he could be like a functional nfl receiver which is Which is pretty good. Like if you're getting a guy on day three who ends up being your long-term, long-term wide receiver three, I think that's probably the best, you know, and most ideal fit for him. But I think Christian Watson is much better, and I have my questions about Christian Watson, but I think he's much better. And I think Jaden Reed is probably a better receiver long-term. So yeah, I'm, I'm not. I think Dobbs showed he can play in the NFL as a first-year receiver, but he's also, I don't think he showed anything that would lead you to believe he's a long-term high-end starter by any means.
2: Yeah, that's
0: my and, and thoughts
3: As on well. Lazard
2: is kind of because he's going to be out. I mean, you know, Roger's going to make sure he's out there.
3: Uh, yeah, man, I I think <laughs> blocking, ma- I think blocking matters, bro. That's what I'll say about Alan Lazard. <laughs> I, uh, well, I don't, you,
2: you said you don't do tight ends, but yet you've charted. But he's a
3: goals. yo. He's the clo- he's like the closest guy. Um, uh, he has he has a pretty similar role to like a tight end, I think, than like uh, of what we think, think about you with these the guys.
2: League and in inline snaps, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think he did. Um, And I think that actually, he's actually not bad in that role because he's fine on like some shorter routes and he's, you know, he's got good hands and he wins in contested situations and he is a good blocker. But I think he ideally is like a wide receiver three, like a third guy in the passing game. But um, I don't know. The fact that Corey Davis is still on that roster, I'm like, Davis is a much better receiver than Alan Lazard. So we'll see about that. Yeah. Well, once Uh, uh, once underdog.
2: any thoughts on just him? while we're talking about blocking
3: dudes? <laughs> on who? Who we say? Gabriel Davis. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, I think that was a, a rough price tag on Davis last year. Um, but I think almost like it's a little bit too far the other direction now, where like him at wide receiver forty-one is like per, is a perfectly good like c- capable pick because I think he's shown he he's on that Devonte Parker axis of S- X receivers I talked okay. about where. Go- he's actually a really good downfield route runner uh, and he's good in contested situations. He's just not a true number two receiver, like p- period. And I thought that last year, I think that now, but um, he's a guy that can win vertically. He can win on some, like we talked about, like give us guys that win on nine routes, give us guys that can win down the field. He's, he can, he's definitely that guy. Like he's not terrible. He was just gr- like really grossly overpriced last year. Uh, so I think the truth is somewhere in the middle with him. Yeah, that's
0: fair, and it seems. Yeah, it seems like like you mentioned like he's a guy that in fantasy maybe we can be more excited about than what this charting shows. He he plays on the Bills. I guess the only way you get buried here, right, is if they bring in Hopkins and then Davis doesn't play anymore and two waters. Like that's the only way I see you really. Yeah, like
3: if his quarterback is not Josh Allen, that's tough. But his quarterback is Josh Allen, so it's it's fine where he's where he's going and viewing him in that way. Awesome. Well.
0: We would love to, I mean, chat about wide receivers uh, all day here. Um, I could do this for two and more hours, have. but yeah, <laughs> we basically have. Matt, that was, uh, that was a ton of fun. Uh, I know you have mentioned that you're, you're still charting some players. Uh, I guess uh, tell the people what else is coming out on, on reception perception the next, next couple of weeks.
3: Yes, yeah, so a lot of like some of the bigger name veterans who are not um, already on the site will be up on the site uh, next Monday, and then I'm going to try to hit 80 players. Uh, like like I said, uh, you know, I don't I don't have time necessarily to go back and chart Josh Gordon's like epic uh, season, but. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to hit 80 players added to the site between NFL players and rookies by week one. So a uh, robust database that continues to be added to will, is what you can find at receptionperception.com. But like I said, a lot of the you know, Cooper Cup-type players uh, and then some guys like uh, you know, C- Christian Kirk and, and, and Chris Godwin, like all across the board, guys who aren't up on the site yet, uh, next Monday and the entire next week is when I'm going to try to hit those big-name veterans.
0: Cool. Can I ask one thing? Are we going to get Rashid Shahid in reception perception?
3: I would almost guarantee it uh, that wow, he, if I'm crazy. hitting 80 guys, he's gonna because he, he's in the in season tracker right now. The two like two games he had uh, last year, and I kind of think he's pretty good. Like I think Olave is in a great situation where the, he has a functional quarterback, and the guys around him are just good enough to keep defense. Like even with with or without Michael Thomas, like I think Shahid and Juwan Johnson, like Foster Moreau, and all the running backs they got there are just good enough for the offense to be of high quality, but not enough to threaten his, but like, run target share, basically. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. I like that. Pat, what, what's going on for you at uh, Legendary Upside? Uh, took some time off last week, so i uh, going to be writing and trying to get an article out by the end of the week on some running back success rate stuff, wrap up that series I'm doing over there. Uh, but, you know, best ball rankings, underdog rankings, been updated regularly, so go check them out. So, uh, a lot of drafting, a lot of drafting coming up.
0: Good stuff. Davis, same to you. A lot of drafting.
1: Same deal. A lot of drafting. Uh Posted best ball ranks on the Patreon take cast. Have dynasty ranks there as well. About to go do a dynasty pod with Pat. We're, we're finishing up our uh, magnum opus on dynasty rankings. And uh yeah, we'll be the sports grid fantasy football podcast feed is going to be a lot more active in the next 60 days because we're getting down to the nitty gritty. And we're we're very soon. We're about to leave the theater of the absurd that has been this program for the last six months where we just think about what ADP should be. And now we're about to get real life events of real life humans interacting and then dictating what we do on our phone screens with these drafts. So I'm pretty excited for that.
0: I'm excited as well. Well, thanks again, Matt, for joining. Uh, That was awesome. We will be back next week uh, for ADP chasing. See you guys.